Hello and welcome to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Gong. This is a show where we talk with realtors and other real estate experts about their insights into our profession while hearing some of their most personal stories and practical tools for success. Even the name Jane Bond conjures an image of a suave, savvy international jet setter. And you wouldn't be wrong. But this Jane Bond is even better than you can imagine. Jane is an agent based in Naples, Florida, a hidden gem that represents one of the most luxurious markets in the country. She's a principal of the Bond Bright Group. From first-class flight attendant to celebrity interior designer and entertainment manager to realtor, Jane has had several illustrious careers. Jane shares with us how her parents laid her path of grit and entrepreneurship, a path she is now imparting to the next generation of realtors. So stay tuned. Hello, Jane. Welcome, welcome to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Kenny. I am so honored to come on. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I would love for us to start at the beginning. So can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? Well, I'm from Philadelphia. I grew up there, born and raised, went to high school, after high school, went out to New York City to college. Once I was done with college, I became a flight attendant, and I flew for five years, four years actually, internationally, uh, first, yeah. first year, six months in Houston, and from there, all over the world. Um, loved, loved, loved flying. Wow, loved wow. Um, tell us a little bit about what did you take away most about your time as a flight attendant? Engaging with different cultures, understanding that each destination was about um, exploring the cultural aspect of that. And I think anyone that travels for a living or is able to travel, period, there's a huge education behind that. And when you travel, what you do is you have a cultural exchange. And I think that's a beautiful thing because it makes you a well-rounded person when it comes to dealing with people. I was lucky enough to service first class as a flight service manager. So I learned a lot about um, people with high net wealth and Mm -hmm. also people in general from all over the world. And... um, I think that was the biggest takeaway from being a flight attendant at the time. Yeah. I won't tell you when, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll tell you that it was a great time. And it was all about the destination and also learning the service part of that. Like I said, being in and serving um, first class was definitely an experience. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you were a waitress in the sky. Well, that's not true. If you take it on from a different perspective, you learn, you know, a heck of a lot about Mm -hmm. the people you serve more so than anything, what they um, are accustomed to and what you should get accustomed to when you are on the other side of that as far as serving them. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a huge education for me at a young age. Yeah, absolutely. What were some of those things that you uh, specifically learned about service and service philosophy? Understanding who I was servicing and what they were accustomed to and making sure it was done properly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's what I remember the most. And, and definitely, I, I remember reading a book called The Question Behind the Question and Not Passing the Buck and also just getting the job done. And I ran with that philosophy and I did very well with it and made a lot of friends. They, I don't think a lot of people 
or a lot of the customers I was servicing looked at me as a server. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was all over, I had phone numbers and addresses and were invited, you know, at pretty much a seat at the table with them. So I thought that was fantastic. So I learned a lot. It wasn't just about, oh, she served us well. It was like, it was more so we had an unbelievable engaging conversation with her. We loved that you knew, you know, quite a bit about the service itself and traveling. So um, I think that helped me in my business where I am today. Mm-hmm. as far as real estate is concerned, because that's what it's all about. We're in a service-oriented business. And um, when you're good at it, people recognize you for it. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody started out wealthy. You have people that have, you know, worked all their lives to get to where they have, you know, the accolades behind them that show for it. So I think understanding who they are, where they come from, um, knowing their likes and dislikes and, 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 and just being there for them and taking care of them is very important in our business today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love what you had talked about the cultural exchange, because it seems like that was very much at the heart of your service. It wasn't just bringing people food or, or making sure that they had pillows or anything like that, but it actually was a conversation, a dialogue about culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that was the most beautiful part for me, knowing that when they walked off that plane, I gave them an experience to remember. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. that's what people want. You know, service is an experience. Mm -hmm. And if you are mature enough to take that on and handle it, even at a, you know, young age of 24, 25, you can go a long way in any business. What was it about you and your upbringing, um, or maybe just you and yourself, that you had the wherewithal at such a young age, in your 20s, to be able to say, I have just as much to offer culturally to this person, even in in my service role. What was it about you or how you grew up that kind of gave you that that confidence? Well, I came from parents that... um... My dad was an entrepreneur. My dad only went to the third grade and he was, you know, streetwise enough and business savvy enough at a certain age to open his own businesses. You know, Mm -hmm. he had a heart though. He wore his heart on his shirt sleeve in his first couple of businesses. So that didn't work too well. (laughs) And um, once we got up on our feet and we owned what, you know, bars and nightclubs in the Philadelphia area. Uh Uh It was a job. It was a hard job. And my father, you know, retired my mother um, from her job and gave her her own uh, bar to run. Mm -hmm. So she became an entrepreneur. And it was all about service. It was being there on time, opening up on time, making sure everybody, you know, did what they had to do to get the bar running and opened. And I remember taking a position of manager at one time mm-hmm. and it was not an easy job. I, he taught me everything I know though. He taught me about, you know, inventory first in first out. He taught me about making sure the customers were happy and, you know, making sure I, if they walked through the door, it was like, cheers. Hey, I knew their names. You know, if they had too much to drink, make sure they got home. Okay. Or even looked after them and made sure they didn't drink too much while they were in my company at the time. So I learned a lot from them as far as service was concerned. And that's how, you know, my family made their money and, you know, had a decent life. 
Mm-hmm. So I, from my upbringing, it had, you know, it was my parents that taught me everything pretty much from the onset about business and service. And not to say it stayed with all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I grew up in the house with several kids, we all didn't take heed to that. I mean, to be able to also learn not only about service, but also about that creative endeavor of entrepreneurship, you know, of learning hard lessons, of of having a few failures before really getting the knack of how to make business happen. That was all right there in front of you. Oh, absolutely. When you're watching your parents grow and they have a few failures, you realize that, okay, I watched my father fail a couple of times, but he got right back up because he yeah. had mouths to feed. You know, he did well enough to send us all. I mean, I came up, I grew up in a household of seven kids too. I grew up with, you know, my parents hoping that they had enough money to send us all to school. And at one point they did, and they did, you know, they sent us all to school. We were, we had an option. And I think that was a beautiful thing that we had the option to choose to go to the university. Mm -hmm. And they made their way because it was a time where we weren't sure if we were going to go or not. And we were, ba- you know, we were young kids at the time. You know, we were still in junior high, high school and watching our friends prepare for college. And when we were, you know, sat down and told that we were able to apply and go, that was a wonderful thing. And I had watched them, you know, grow and um, become financially stable. And as, you know, they grew, I saw things change. Nicer cars, nicer furniture, better mm-hmm. clothes you know, going out to dinner as a family. So you come from a background of humble beginnings. You carry that throughout your life with you. And, you know, I think, I'm not that I think, I know that's what makes me who I am today. And what was it about you as opposed to, you know, some of your other siblings that weren't necessarily hit by that entrepreneurial bug? What was it about you that felt compelled to and inspired by by what you saw with your family and your parents? Well, you know, we have a saying, just because we grew up in the same house doesn't mean we all take on the same, you know, outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of us, we get distracted by, by outside influences. And some of us, we just kind of really look at what's going on internally. And we take that foundation with us throughout life. And some kids just don't pick up on that. You know, they go out, they don't, they become rebellious, you know, and it has nothing to do with the parents. It's all about that kid, I believe, that goes out there and take on other outside influences. And I think, you know, my parents giving me, you know, both hands to look at and telling me which road to take or sharing with me which road to take, I decided to take the right road as opposed to the left road. And when I say not all my siblings were were like that, I'm not saying that they did anything, you know, uh, negative or, or, or bad. They just took a road where they wanted to have a steady job and not risk Mm -hmm. not having a steady paycheck or steady income. And I was willing to risk it all because I saw it happen. I saw what happened in my family as we grew financially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The possibility models are so important to be able to see what could be. Oh, absolutely. And when you take them on, it, it relinquishes a fear factor that you, you just don't take with you throughout your life. I don't think I've ever been afraid, you know, to take a chance. I don't think I've ever, 
I never thought about it. I never looked back. I've never worked for anyone but the airline. And even when mm-hmm. I worked for the airline, I felt like I was my own boss up there in the air. You know, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have anybody standing over me saying, you got to do this. I didn't have anybody saying, you know, where are those reports? That yeah. just didn't happen. So yeah. once I was, I left the airlines, I didn't know any other thing, anything else to do. I was always my own boss, my own entrepreneur, my own, you know, I had to make the phone ring. Mm-hmm. If I didn't make the phone ring, I wasn't going to eat. Yeah, yeah, I love that fearlessness and the 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 hustle of just making things happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're fearful of making sure everything is right. You know, right. when you're building, you fear that your fear. The only fear you you kind of are faced with is, are you doing it right to put it together? Mm-hmm. But the leap. I've never been afraid of that. Yeah. If I thought I wanted to do something, I would do it. Uh-huh. Never, ever That's did great. it cross my mind not to do it because I might not get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. It was always, oh, I'm going to get a paycheck. Because <laughs> <I'm gonna> <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm going to figure this out. No matter what it takes, somebody's going to help me figure this out and I'm going to move forward. Yeah. So I've always had my own business. I've never worked for anyone. So did you study interior design before or after your time as a flight attendant? I studied, I decided to become an interior designer when I decided to leave the airlines. I had just, you know, come out of school, finance degree, you know, studying, studying, studying. Your your brain is in the study mode the whole time. And mm-hmm. at some time and point, it came when I was flying that, okay, I didn't go to school and spend my mom and dad's money to stay up here and serve. I got to figure out how I'm going to sit in that seat, that first class seat and be served. That Mm -hmm. was the frame of mind I had. I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm I'm done with this. Where do I go from here? And I decided, okay, the next two years, I'm going to travel around the world and see anything and everything my heart desire. And then I'm going to make a move. I had to figure out who how, who was I going to service to make enough money to live. And I thought, okay, you need to fly or take on the flights that have football players. on. So now you need to go into the charter part of this. So I signed up for the charter flights and the charter flights were all football players and basketball mm-hmm. players mm-hmm. and not having any experience whatsoever. We chartered a flight for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And um, I was talking to one of the players on the plane, and I said to him, I said, oh, no, I'm not going to be on this plane flying for long. I'm going to be an interior designer. And he Mm -hmm. said, do you know anything about interior design? I said, yes, of course I know a lot about interior design. I've traveled all over the world. I've taken on, you know, all the architects that I could take on. I know I read the books, and I said, I'm ready to do the work. And he says, do you know how to do the work? I said, absolutely. I know quality as opposed to quantity. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he says, well, guess what? I just bought a house in Tampa. Do you want to come down and look at it? So you could have taken that two different ways. You're on a flight. You got a good looking football player. You got a flight attendant, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. But this guy was very serious. And I said to him, I can fly for free. You know that I will fly down and look at the property which I did. And he gave me the job without any experience or anything. And I figured it out. 
Right. Fast forward 10 years later, after working with several football players, basketball players, judges, doctors, lawyers, you name it, I worked with them and designed their homes out. I went mm-hmm. to school at Parsons and received my interior design degree after that. After, after those 10 years? After those 10 years. And it was wow. just having a keen eye for quality, keeping my mouth shut and listening to the lighting designer, you know, yeah. <laughs> the... the kitchen designer, the flooring people, and just taking it all in, asking a million questions and learning how to do it on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I did extremely well. Wow. I never advertised one time. Florida Home and Design Magazine. Mm-hmm. I received a 10-page article plus the cover. And I only thought I was going to get a couple pages in there, and I couldn't believe I got the cover. Yeah. Um, I got awards. I joined ASID. And then I went back to school. I went to Parsons and got my degree only because I felt as though I had not arrived Mm. and I didn't want to be challenged without having a degree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by my peers. Mm -hmm. And I started getting speaking engagements and my way was very unconventional. I kind of did it backwards. Yeah. But just for me, just for my peace of mind, just who I am. I went to school to learn how to draw because at that point, um, AutoCAD came into play and I had no experience with that. And people were asking, do you know how to do AutoCAD? Can you give us some mechanical drawings for this and renderings? And that's why I went to school. Mm-hmm. And once I went to school and received, you know, got my degree and then received a 10 page um, article in Home and Design National Magazine, I was done. I was over interior design, which was wow. interesting because. Um, that's how I kind of went into entertainment. One of my clients was a recording artist and asked me, would I um, work with her? And to be honest with you, I told her, I said, I have no idea. I know nothing about the entertainment business. And she looked at me and forgive my French. She said, Jane, it's all the same shit. It's business. Right. And that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, and, and she was right. It's all yeah. business. Um, yeah. You hire the people you need to do the work and you oversee it. And that's what happened with interior design mostly. I hired the people that knew how to do the work. As long as I hired the right people to do, you know, put the right seat, people in the right seats, I was good. Mm-hmm. I knew what to do. I knew what to look for and I knew what it was supposed to look like. And the same thing applied to when you went into entertainment. Yes, that was a little different. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> most of the time it applied to that, but most of the time I had to bring in my negotiation skills yeah. because I was dealing with, you know, people at Paramount Pictures, producers and, and, and entertainment managers that had been in the business for years and they knew the contracts where I had to learn the contracts. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's where you hire your business managers and you hire your um, agents to work with you. I was not an agent. I was an entertainment manager. I managed the talent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, what's incredible about this, Jane, is that, um, you know, you had mentioned in your story, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any experience going into interior design or, or um, I've never done anything in entertainment before, but both of your very first clients really recognized 
that you had all the experience you needed. You had all the tools that you needed to succeed, and you just didn't have yet that first experience of putting it all together. But it's amazing to think about how much inherent skill that you have um, and that that we all have, right? That is there. And we just have to figure out how do we best apply it? How do we find the right opportunity to apply these skills that we've built over a lifetime? Absolutely. And, you know, it's a culmination of everything that I've done in my life that, you know, brings me to where I am now. And I call on those that skill set each and every day of my life when I deal with mm-hmm. people, you know, it, it's and performance you know, value is everything. You have to show up. Mm -hmm. And if that person doesn't show up to get the job done, or even to act interested in the job, and, you know, the driving force is the dollar sign, that will always be a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I never did any of the things, any of the careers I had for the money. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to eat, but I knew if I did the job correctly, that would not be a problem. Right. right. And it never was. And then what brought you to Florida? Um, I got married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> the world was falling apart back when the market was just about to crash in 2008. I came here. Uh, it's a funny story. I met my husband a very long time ago on a flight that I was not supposed to be on, and neither was he. And uh, the first flight attendant, which is the flight service manager, got sick, and they called me in New York and asked me to deadhead, meaning fly without working, to Miami, take the Miami flight to London, and work the flight back. So I worked from Miami to London, London back to Miami, and then I was off. I knew nobody on the flight because they called me in at the last minute, and I said yes. and. Um, I met my husband on that flight, but I didn't marry my husband until 10 years ago. My husband's English. I ran into my husband three times, dated him, you know, 32 years ago for 18 months, broke up with him because I thought he was arrogant, you know, arrogant Englishman, of course. And uh-huh. he was becoming the man he is today and um, ran into him three different times in New York over a course of 20 years. And when I say ran into it, it was like, hey, how you doing? Oh, my God, I can't believe I see you again. Uh-huh. And that was it. The third time I ran into him. Um, I married him 18 months later. That's life though, right? That's life and love. And the funny thing is, Kenny, he said to me, he says, oh, well, you know, I moved. And I said, where? He said, to Naples. I said, Italy? (laughs) (laughs) He said, no, Florida. I said, there's a Naples in Florida? He said, yeah, Uh the West Coast. I went, there's a West Coast of Florida? Uh Uh-huh. He was like, yeah, the Gulf of Mexico. I was like, oh, wow. I said, I don't know. I never even knew that. And that's how I found out about Naples. So what do you love about Naples? I can be honest with you. I didn't love Naples initially because mm-hmm. I came straight from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And Naples is a little different. Uh, nobody here looked like me at the time. Mm-hmm. Six feet tall, black, big hair. And I came here during season, which was really a great time to be in Naples because the weather is absolutely stunning. You know, it's back at, you know, it's in the 80s. There's no humidity. People from all over the country, and matter of fact, a lot of people from outside of the country. I think Naples is the closest thing America will get to Saint Tropez. You know, um, beautiful beaches, white sand, uh, really, really wealthy city. Um, I think uh, 
Naples has the highest per capita in the country. One of the cities that has the highest per capita. We have titans that have come here and laid their hats down, retire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of from a lot of people from the Midwest. Um, initially, I wasn't sure. I mean, it was really really hot in the summer. Um, then when I got into real estate, I got into real estate during 2010. The market had crashed. People were very angry. You know, um, as I stayed on in Naples for many, many years, I thought, not many years, let's say the first four or five years, I thought, I'm not going to stay here. There's no way I can stay here. And then it grows on you. And then you can't wait till the tourists leave because then you know you have it all to yourself. This mm-hmm. beautiful place. It's safe. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, quiet. Uh, it's beautiful. It's clean. Mm-hmm. The, the beaches are gorgeous. The water is like bath water. The sand is soft. We have good restaurants. We have good people mm-hmm. here, wholesome mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. really, really nice people. And I thought, wow, the people from the Midwest are very nice. I've never met anybody from the Midwest. <laughs> I thought that. I kept saying it to myself, wow, the people are here are really, really nice. Do they import them like being in San Diego? So um, it grew on me. Yeah. And now I can't imagine... You know, I used to think every year, oh, I'm going back to New York. I'm going to buy yeah. me, you know, Peter Tear, and I'm going to live in New York, and I'm going to live the life. And you know, now that I'm older, and I've been here for what 12 years now, mm-hmm. I absolutely adore it. I can't imagine, you know, up and leaving and going anywhere else. That's amazing. Um, take me back to 2010 when you decided to enter into another illustrious career of, of real estate. What was what was that transition like for you? Coming from entertainment, like I said, in 2008, we kind of saw the market starting to crash. And we saw that businesses, you know, were really slowing down. My business at the time, entertainment, we weren't going out. We weren't marketing ourselves like we were before because the world was crashing, you know, pretty much all around us. Um, so when I came to Naples in 2010, I, that's when I moved here permanently. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And the only industry I saw that was still doing well was real estate at the time, even though the market had crashed. Mm-hmm. If you looked at it from a financial standpoint um, and you were an investor, that was something different. If you looked at it, you know, as someone like myself, you're saying, okay, the market has crashed. It has gone as low as it can go. Guess what? It has to go back up. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is when it's time. This is the time to get in the market, Jane, and work as a real estate agent. Learn everything you can as fast as possible because it will, you know, bounce back. How long it will take is another story. But this is the time to work. It's like now. The pandemic hit us in March. Mm-hmm. Everybody's preparing for whenever we're going to come back properly, you know, or what they say normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. This is the time to buckle down, learn everything you can, regroup, and go out there. And the market is doing well right now. Everybody's People are buying. People are, you know, selling. But we don't know where we're going. You know, we have no idea where we're going. At least back then when the market crashed, we knew we couldn't do anything but go up. Mm -hmm. This is a whole different ballgame. We don't have a housing crisis. We have a health crisis. Right. That's something completely different. So back then, um, 
people were losing their homes left and right. You know, they were angry, but there was a lot of deals going on and investors were here and they were buying up property. And I saw the opportunity to get into the market and do well and work and, and learn how to um, really grow in the industry. There really was nothing else um, I could see myself doing here in Naples, you know, because this yeah. is not um, a metropolitan city. You know, uh -huh. we have this is a county. This is a kind of like a village here. Yeah. But a very wealthy village. Yeah. So, you know, that's what was intriguing. And I knew I could do well if I really knew my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned, you know, when you first moved to Naples, being one of the only black folks in in town and um, and looking different and being different. Do you? How do you think your racial identity impacted how you came up as a realtor in Naples? I think I was different, mm -hmm. and people like that. Yeah. I think you know, I was the new girl in town. You know, like I said, I'm almost six feet tall. So when I walk in a room, people are like, oh, <laughs> and then on top of that, I'm wearing heels. So I'm about six, three, six, four sometimes. I wear them really high. And I think people were intrigued. Yeah. So, you know, um, I don't think me being African-American, black, however you want to, you know, say that or black folks. Yes, I love that, too. <laughs> um, I don't think that really had an impact. I think the impact was from me noticing it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, um, wondering where where the other agents that looked like me were mm -hmm. and why are they not here? Mm -hmm. This is a very good market. This is a great market to work in. Where is everybody? And has the community of agents diversified significantly since you started in the market? No. Yeah. So we were talking about possibility models earlier, and I love that you are the possibility model for folks of color in Naples and beyond. But getting to that point takes a lot of work. Let's talk about some of the most important things that, to you, new agents of color need to succeed. I know they don't have the opportunity or the knowledge, and no one's coaching them or sharing with them the tools, the systems that they need to, you know, work in this arena. Mm -hmm. And not only that, a lot of young people, they say, oh, I want to break into the luxury market. And I share with them, you don't break into this market. You grow into this market. You have to understand the systems and tools that you need to have in your resource kit to work with these type of people. Let's just talk about wealthy people, mm -hmm. who they are. If you don't understand who they are, where they come from, and most of them come from places like me. They just have worked really, really hard and they respect that and appreciate that and they don't want anything less than professionalism. Mm -hmm. And I always say, if you can't play in their sandbox, then you're not going to be invited. Mm -hmm. And they can recognize that immediately just by the way you speak. Right. You know, And if you don't know your market and you go up against an agent that knows her market, has savvy, understands what it takes to service these people, you're going to lose every single time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I yeah. pride myself on understanding what it takes to be there. I mean, when I guess, you know, when I broke through, so to speak, <laughs> you know, because 
you get to a certain point and then you're there. Yeah. I think the, the, one of the proudest moments was, uh, for me, was some of the top agents in my area coming to me saying, wow, I see your car at seven o'clock in the morning. You're already in the office. You're a hard worker. Your work ethics are amazing. And yeah. You're going to do really, really well. Stay out of my market. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just, you know, recognizing my work and my yeah. work ethic and my creativity. And the creativity comes from my other careers, being mm-hmm. an entertainment manager, being a creative, you know, and coupling up with my business acumen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it takes, you know, and it, our business, Kenny, it's a, it's hard work. This is a grind, mm-hmm. you know, it, mm-hmm. it looks easy, but it's not easy because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. And if you don't take on the foundation of our business, which is prospecting, time management, marketing and advertising, knowing your business, you don't take those on and really understand it and follow up key, 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 gold, golden key, mm-hmm. and you don't win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's you the know, basics. It's the fundamentals. It's right? the foundation. Mm-hmm. You pull that from under you, you have nothing. And um, I think being African American and being here and standing out from the crowd, you know, maybe just by the way I look, people recognize that. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I've done the work. Nothing yeah. was given to me. Right, right. You have a passion for teaching agents and for mentoring agents and and whenever you can, really helping folks out. Um, so I'm wondering if you can uh, talk a little bit about what motivates you to do that. Most of them are conflicted with what they're supposed to be doing in the industry to get to where they believe, you know, is the mountaintop being working in luxury. The reason I believe I'm passionate is because when I speak to them and they share with me the things that they are doing to, you know, push their business forward, most of it is all wrong. It's the wrong way. They're not being told. They're not being coached. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of teaching them the right, you know, systems to use. Right. And mm-hmm. putting their packages together when they go out there. And not only that, you know, it's more personal than that, too. You have to share with them as far as the way they carry themselves. You know, I'm just very candid with them. I share with them, you know, listen, you need to get it together. Mm -hmm. You need to walk in there like you own the room and you know your stuff, but you can't walk in there looking like you just went, you know, came from going out last night, Mm -hmm. wearing the same clothes you wear when you go out and party to see, you know, Mr. Ultra Conservative and his wife and mistress probably sitting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you, know, and you have to be able to recognize that and be able to vacillate between the three of them and have a really, you know, intelligent conversation about getting mm-hmm. their home on the market and getting it sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them don't know how to carry that kind of conversation or market themselves that way. You know, they can be given all the tools, you know, under the sun. But utilizing them as one, that's a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being able to articulate their thoughts and, you know, sit there and unveil their plan. And if you don't know that, you know, if you can't give them blow by blow of what you're going to do to get that home sold, and it might not be no more than the agent that didn't get it sold has done. You just have to do more. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And you have to unveil to them, you know, the tools that you have and the track record that you have. You have to bring it all because Mm -hmm. today the real estate game, it's not your grandparents business anymore or the mom that stayed at home, you know, and decided to go out and take a job as a real estate agent to make extra Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's completely different. I'm a big proponent of trying to do everything we possibly can to diversify our profession, to bring more folks of color into the industry. And so I'm curious to know, what do you think, in addition to the mentorship, in addition to the coaching, is there anything else that we can do as realtors and as a profession as a whole to really create pipelines for more young folks of color to enter into the industry and thrive? I think we just really need to reassess things and give back and not be not play our cards so close to our chest as agents that have done well for themselves. Mm-hmm. We have to give the playbook away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's yeah. not really about us. It's about the person that you're serving. Mm-hmm. In order for you to get to where you want to be, you have to know how to service the mm-hmm. client. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the experience. Right. That's all they want. They want a good experience from you as an agent. Mm-hmm. And if you can get that in your head along with the work ethic, you'll do just well. And the work is seeing that an $800,000 client is just as important oh. as an $8 million client. I treat them all the same. I, I'll never forget my client saying to me, Jane, I've read about you. I've seen the properties you represent. And she said to me, my little 499 I said, a little... I said, I'll take this any day. Mm-hmm. Said, you treat me like I'm a $4 million client. I said, you are. Mm-hmm. I said, you mm-hmm. are a four million. And we're friends. My clients become my friends. Mm-hmm. I'm invited to their parties, their Christmas, their anniversary. They send me gifts. You know, when the pandemic hit, I made a whole list of all the people I had to call. They were calling me before I was calling them. I was, mm-hmm. wow. I told my husband, I said, my clients are calling me to see if I'm okay. And I'm calling them. <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah. well, that means you've done well. I said, yeah, that really says something about the business, babe. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's our duty as agents to help teach one another for the industry itself. You know, our industry is not really looked upon with a good eye from the public most of the time. And I think if we teach each other how to provide the service properly, and I mean, when we go to our companies, our brokerages, they teach us how to market ourselves. They teach us, you know, advertising, blah, blah, blah. The service is something different that has to come from within. Mm-hmm. You have to want to provide that experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's not, you can't teach that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I love so much about your story is that the same Jane who was a flight attendant at 24 years old mm-hmm. is the same Jane who sells $8 million properties today. It, the commitment to service is the same. The service okay. is the same. Yeah. We'll take it one step further. The same Jane that was 15, 16 years old serving the guy at the bar, mm-hmm. a cocktail when she wasn't supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) behind the bar um, is the same Jane at this age selling 10, 15, $8 million properties. Mm -hmm. Same girl girl Mm -hmm. in the jeans and sneakers and, you know, sweat tops and her hair pulled up in a ponytail sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm the same girl. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm just me. 
Uh, and I, I pride myself on that. This reminds me that this business really, really is simple in many ways, right? Like it's how do we make people feel cared for? And how do we do that in a way that we would feel cared for ourselves? And what I love about this industry, what I love about this profession, um, and what a lot of people don't know about our profession is that that, that is at the heart of what we actually do as realtors. Um, where can uh, where can people find you, Jane? Well, they can find me on social media at Jane Bond. I'm on Instagram at Jane Bond underscore underscore underscore. They can find me on Facebook at Jane Bond TBG. I'm on LinkedIn. Same thing, Jane Bond. Just look up Jane Bond Naples. You can find me. Awesome. Oh, oh and gosh. I have a book coming out. My oh book. my gosh! Tell yeah, us about it. I'm excited. I have a book coming out next month. Um, it's being published. I just okayed the cover. It's called How to Land Your First Million Dollar Listing. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Put my heart into it. I told the story from start to finish. I'm very excited. Our podcast is called the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. So yeah. I would love for you to share with us, what does it mean to be a thoughtful realtor to you? Understanding the people that you deal with on a daily basis when it comes to servicing them, giving them an experience. And you must be mindful and thoughtful about that each and every step of the way. That's Fantastic. I love that. Thank you. Thank you to Jane Bond again for being such an inspiration to all of us and for reminding us all what truly matters about service and being a realtor. Those stories of hers are so good, and I cannot wait personally to read more about them in her book. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And if you have a friend or a colleague who might benefit from this episode, please share because we're all about spreading the love. Till next time, bye.